Well, good morning, Golden Corner Church. Good morning, Golden Corner Church. Good, I like that. I like that energy. Uh, let me say, first of all, welcome back to our Luther Mission Team. We are proud of you, and uh, we prayed for you all week last week, but we are grateful to have you back in the fold, and it's good to see you today. This morning, I'm going to start a brand new sermon series entitled Defiance, Dare to be Different. Now, when you hear me use the word defiance, what images come to your mind? I mean, if you're a parent, are there any episodes with your children that kind of pop into your mind? I know my son and daughter were in the first service, and I could tell by the look on their faces they were begging God not to allow me to tell some of my parental stories, and their prayers were answered. I didn't. Uh, If you're a teacher... Perhaps there is the the face of a student that just jumped into your mind. Or maybe you thought about some radical subgroup that just is unwilling to play by society's rules. When you hear the word defiance, should you have immediately thought of Christians? Because I'm starting to understand that when we hear the word defiance, maybe that's the first group of people we should call to mind. I think we should associate Christians with defiance. And you say, Ronnie, I'm not following. Well, for the next few weeks, we're going to be moving through and studying the Old Testament book of Esther. And it is my prayer that by the time we get to the conclusion of the book, you will understand exactly what I'm talking about. And that from this point on, when you hear the word defiance, you'd immediately think of Christians. But even more so, I'm praying that by the time we reach the end of this series, all of us will dare to be different. Now this morning we're going to read a few verses from Esther chapter 3, but before we do, I want to kind of tell you what's happening in chapters 1 and 2 as a means of just setting the stage. So it's kind of a long story, but you're with me, aren't you? I knew you were. Our story begins in the ancient land of Persia. The reigning king is a guy named Xerxes. From his palace in Susa, he reigns over 127 provinces. And scattered throughout each province, there are Jews. And what this means is God's people were trying their best to live a godly life in a very ungodly culture. Now, in the third year of his reign, Xerxes throws a party. And that really would be... Understatement, actually, it was the mother of all parties. You think you've been to some parties? You've never been to a party like this. He invited all of his dignitaries, his governmental leaders, his military leaders, and they partied hard for six straight months. I told you, it's a big deal. The Bible says that during this time, Xerxes showed off you know, his opulent wealth and the pomp and splendor of his majesty. He was kind of showing out to all these people. Well, as soon as that party was over, he threw another party. It was going to last a week. And he invited everyone who lived in the city of Susa to attend. From the greatest to the least, I guess from the mayor to the guy who cleaned out his stables... They were all invited, men and women alike. 
Now, the men and women were going to party, but they were going to party separately. The men, of course, were going to party outdoors. Now, doesn't that make common sense, I guess, to us? Kind of a man thing. They're outside. They probably pitched some horseshoes. Maybe had a skeet shoot, a golf tournament. You know, maybe they had all that stuff. But one thing I know they did, the entire party was built around drinking. There was one rule in the party. And the rule was this, guys, drink as much as you want to drink every day for a solid week. And at the same time the men were partying, the women were partying with Xerxes' queen Vashti. She was hosting them inside the palace where she was throwing them an elaborate banquet. Now on the seventh day of this drunken binge, King Xerxes has an idea. You know, I just, in my imagination, I, I hear him turning to some of the men going, you ever seen my queen? <laughs> you know, you ever seen Vashti? You ever notice how, how good looking she is? So he has this idea. He wants Vashti to leave the banquet, come out with the men, and parade her beauty in front of these men, these drunken men, as they gawk at her. So he sends a delegation of messengers in, and I just picture one of them walking over to Vashti and saying, uh, the king would like for you to come and join him with the men. In my imagination, I just kind of hear Vashti going, what? Why? Uh, he wants you to put on your crown. And this is, this is what the Bible says. He wants you to put on your crown and come dance before these men so that they can Gaze upon your beauty. Now, doesn't that sound like a really good idea, huh? Something that, you know, that's what he wants. She said to these messengers, uh, that would be a no. Now, this had to shock them because in this culture, women never refuse the request of a man. I know what some of you guys just thought. Oh, for the good old days. But she said, No. Not going to happen, not today, not tomorrow, ever. I'm not coming. So these guys sheepishly go back to Xerxes. And I believe the first thing you notice was the obvious absence of Vashti. And uh, so they, you know, the king had to inquire, where's, where's my queen? And they said, uh, uh, king, uh, respectfully, uh, she ain't coming. What? She said, she's not coming, and matter of fact, she may have thrown a few expletives in there just to emphasize the fact that she's not going to be joining your little party. Well, Xerxes turned into Zerk, the jerk. He threw a fit. He was furious. So he called his top advisors together, and he said, guys, i got a problem. I've commanded that Queen Vashti come in and dance before us, And she's unwilling to cooperate. Well, one of the advisors spoke up and said, Dude, it's not just that you got a problem. We all got a problem. If word gets out to our wives that the queen has refused to obey the king, then I think we'll see this kind of behavior spread throughout the kingdom. And and, and perhaps our wives will stop doing what we ask. And if that happens, who's going to make our sandwiches? Who's going to pour our tea? Are they going to want to split time with the remote? I mean, I can see this spell in real trouble. King, you got to nip this in the bud. He's like, what do you want me to do? 
they said, fire her. <laughs> take her crown, take her off the throne, banish her from your presence for the rest of her life. He, now listen, he was mad now. He's like, yeah, that sounds like a good, I'll do that. And then they said, you also got to make a law, a law that can never be repealed, never overturned, never tampered with. And the law is going to be like this. From this point on, let it be known that every man is the head of his house and he has the right to say and do as he pleases. And the king said, okay, got it, wrote it in law. It was circulated. Everybody now understood exactly how the home was supposed to be managed. Now, sometime later, I don't know how long, but little Xerxes kind of calmed down. He wasn't angry anymore. And when the anger subsided, he missed Vashti incredibly. Pined for her. Some of his friends noticed what was going on. They came to him and said, Xerxes, buddy, we think we know exactly what you need. You need a new queen. And we believe we know exactly how you can identify your next queen. We're suggesting a national competition. We, we think you should appoint agents in every province, all 127 provinces. And these agents are to go out and find all the young, beautiful women. And they're going to bring all these women to Susa, to your palace and and they're going to go through adequate beauty treatments, you know, as though they would really need it. And said, you're going to have a romantic evening with each one of them, one by one by one, until you choose the one that pleases you the most and she'll become your next queen. Now, you know, I don't know about you, but that has all the makings of a great reality TV show, doesn't it, huh? Quest for a queen and, you know, the infighting and the, the background stories. I could just see it up big, you know, everybody in Persia was watching this. Well, how do you think the king, how do, what do you think you thought about that idea? Literally, his social calendar would have been filled up for years dating a beautiful, different beautiful woman every night. Uh, he was pretty excited about it. He was all for it. Now, the Bible at this point introduces another character. He's a Jewish man whose name was Mordecai. Mordecai had a pretty decent job on the king's staff. And he was raising his young cousin as though she were his own child. Her parents had passed away, so he adopted her and he's raising her. Her Hebrew name was Hadassah, which means myrtle. Her Persian name was Esther, which means star. Sounds like somebody born for a competition just like this. The Bible said that she was beautiful in form. Did you see that? Did you get that? Did you see that form? (laughs) And in feature, she was drop dead gorgeous. Okay, time out. You know what we're going to do right here, don't you? We got to use our imagination. We got to try to picture in our mind what she must have looked like. So as I began to picture her, the first lady that came to my mind was Catherine Zeta Jones. And I'm dating myself. Some of you don't know who in the world that is, but I'll tell you, she was one of the most beautiful women, or is, that I've ever seen, just has this regal beauty about her. And so Lynn and I were sitting in the living room one night, and I said, When do you think of Esther, who do you see? And she said, I see Gal Gadot. I went, who? Same, same, I had the same look on my face you got on your face. I said, who? She said this Israeli actress who's starring in the lead of the movie 
Wonder Woman. Huh? I said, honey, that's not helping me at all. She said, well, Google her name and then go to images and take a look at her. So I did. I got to admit, I've enjoyed the research on this sermon about as much as any I've ever done. I said, I I don't know. I said, in my mind, I don't really see Catherine Zeta-Jones, and I don't really see Gal Gadot. In my mind, I see her. I see Jasmine from Aladdin. That's who I see. And I know what some of you guys are thinking. Hodge, she's a cartoon. She's a cartoon character. I know, but it's my fantasy. Just let me enjoy it, okay? (laughs) Now, being this beautiful woman, you know that she would be selected to be a part of this competition. So she and all the other girls are taken to the palace. Now, the guy who's in charge of getting all these girls ready, and and, and I want you to understand something. She went into this competition with instructions from her uncle Mordecai, no matter what happens, never tell anyone that you're Jewish. Don't tell anyone that you're Jewish. And why would he do that? Well, I think, one, he was afraid that it would hurt her chances in the competition, but more so, I think he was afraid that people would persecute her because of her religious beliefs. Now, she goes, and the guy in charge of getting these girls ready, his name is Haggai. Well, the minute Haggai sees Esther... Uh, he is smitten. She had his attention. And he began to do favors for her. He gave her special beauty treatments. He made sure that she had a special menu. Uh, he handpicked seven maidens from the palace and assigned them to take care of no one but Esther. When he was assigning living quarters, he picked out the best possible quarters for Esther and her seven maidens. Now, before each girl had their romantic evening with the king, they had to go through a year of beauty treatments. Did you hear me? A year. The first six months were basically oils. The second six months, perfumes and lotions. And on the, on the day, that they had their date in the evening, they were taken on a shopping spree. They, they were taken to the best stores. They could buy any clothing they wanted. They were taken to the jewelry stores. They could pick out any jewelry to, to dress themselves and prepare for the evening. Now, when they go have their date, uh, hopefully, at the end of the evening, uh, the king was going to give them a crown and not a thumbs down. Now, there was a fellow by the name of, get this, Shazgaz. You say, you making that up. No, I'm not. I'm not. There was a guy named Shazgaz, and Shazgaz was in charge of what was called the second harem, which was actually a collection of the rejects and losers, if I can say, say it like that. And so the last thing you wanted to see at the end of your date with the king was look to the door and see Shazgaz standing there going, come with me. But one by one by one, the king dated each of these girls and each and every night, thumbs down, they're all going out to Shazgaz. And then finally, Esther's big night came. Remember, Haggai has chosen her as his favorite. I I promise you that 
in this reality show, she had her own little feature spot. And so he set her down. He gave her advice. Don't do this. Don't do that. He likes this. Don't bring up this topic. You know, he's a Republican. Don't talk about the Democrat. You know, whatever. Don't. You just, you, here's, my, here's what you're going to do. The Bible said that she did exactly as he said. She had her evening, had her date with King Xerxes. And at the end of the evening, he placed the crown on her head and declared, She is now my queen. He held a big banquet in her honor. He made the day of her selection a national holiday. He gave away generous gifts to everyone, the the Bible said. And listen, I promise you this, the television viewing audience, all of Persia, they were thrilled with his choice. The Bible said that everyone who saw her admired her. But even as queen, she never disclosed to a living soul that she was a Jew. Now, while this is taking place, and we're we're about to get to our scripture reading. You still with me, though? You still with me? While all this is taking place, Mordecai has received a pretty decent promotion. And he is guarding the gate of the city of Susa. He overhears a conversation between two men. uh, One named Big Thana, not to be confused with Little Thana. Now, I've been waiting all week to say that. Come on. I know that was corny. I had to say it. One guy's name was Big Thana. The other guy's name was Teresh. And he overheard them plotting the king's assassination. So he goes to Esther and tells her. Esther goes to the king and tells him. The king launches an investigation and discovers that this is true. And so Mordecai is given credit for this. And and, and all this is recorded in the king's royal records. And all this is going to come back to us in the story. You've got to know this now. And so these two men were arrested and they were impaled. Now, do you have any idea what we're talking about with impaled? Now, it was just a way of slowly, very painfully killing a human being. And, and I guess I'll describe, this might help curtail your lunch. If you're trying to drop a few pounds, this, this could very well help you with the appetite. But they would sharpen a pole, and they would insert it into a person's body. And you go, where? I'll say it like this. Below the belt, and then you use your imagination. You got it? And these men were experts, and they could manipulate that pole all the way through that person's body without killing them instantly until the point of the pole came out of their mouth. Then they would drop the end of the pole into a hole in the ground, lifting the person up in the air so everybody could watch them die a very slow, merciless death. As a matter of fact, if you wanted to Google it after church and look at the images, uh, you can do that. And I, I don't know what impact it having. I promise you this. You won't be ordering corn dogs for lunch. I promise you that. <laughs> if that's been a problem for you, I don't know. Which brings us to the, to the scriptures that we're going to read. Esther chapter 3, beginning of verse 1. It says, sometime later, King Xerxes promoted Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, over all the other nobles, making him the most powerful official in the temple. So here's what's going on. So Xerxes has created a new position, number two. Going to be over everybody, everything, answering only to Xerxes. I mean, power over the entire empire. And so he gives Haman, a guy named Haman. You're going to become very familiar with him over the next few weeks. He gets the job. Look at verse number two. All the king's officials would bow down before Haman to show him respect 
whenever he passed by, for so the king had commanded. All right, let me tell you what's going on here. So the king issues a command. You notice it wasn't a suggestion. It was a command. It comes from the king, all authority, all power. You know, he's the guy that wrote the laws that couldn't be repealed. And the, and the, and the order was this. Whoever you are, I don't care what position you have, you know, in my, in my kingdom, when Haman, when you see Haman, you go to your knees. And, and we read it in the NLT, show respect. The Hebrew phrase actually meant to pay homage. You know what that means? It means to worship. The command that came down from Xerxes is when you see Haman, you go to your knees and you worship him. As a God, you worship him. So let's go back with that in mind and read verse 2. All the king's officials would bow down before Haman to show him respect or worship him whenever he passed by, for so the king had commanded. But Mordecai, here's a key word. Do you see that word? Refused. Mordecai was defiant. He refused to bow down or show him respect. In other words, he refused to worship this man as though he were a god. Verse number three. Then the palace officials at the king's gate asked Mordecai, why are you disobeying, there's another key word, defying. Why are you defying the king's command? They spoke to him day after day, but still he, very critical phrase here, refused to comply. He absolutely refused to comply with the order. So they spoke to Haman about this to see if he would tolerate Mordecai's conduct since Mordecai had told them, you see in this, told them he was a Jew. So apparently day after day, Haman would come strutting through. Everybody fell down and worshipped him except, oh, Mordecai. He was defiant. So apparently when Haman would pass by and come out of the picture, the other officials would, would ask Mordecai, what's your problem, man? Why won't you do this? And day after day, you know, they picked at him until finally he said, here's the deal. You know, I got a real faith problem with this. I am a Jew. You know what he's saying? I got a God. And he's not it. I have a God. And it's not Haman. And my God has commanded that I never worship another God, nor make an idol out of anything, including another human being. That's why I won't do it. Now you see kind of where we're going here? This was what Mordecai was saying to them. I'm defying the king's command so that I can obey God's command. You getting this? I am defying the king's command. I'm unwilling to compromise and blend in with everybody else. I'm having to say no to the king's command because I've got to say yes to God's command. Now let's stop right there. We'll pick up here next week. What are we learning? Now here's, here's a lesson. It, we're starting to learn, and we're going to really see it as we go into this series, and, and that's this. Christians should be defiant, not compliant. Christians, followers of God, followers of Christ, should be defiant, not compliant. It's inevitable. Obedience will eventually require defiance on our part. To obey God, we will all, at some point in time, have to defy this world. You know, as followers of Christ, we're in a situation a lot like Mordecai. 
and the Jews. Now, we believe in the same God they believed in. Our beliefs and behavior are based on the Bible, just as theirs was. And just like Mordecai, we're all supposed to obey God no matter what. Do you get it? We're supposed to obey God no matter what. In addition, just like the Jews we're learning about in the book of Esther, we're living in a culture that, for the most part, doesn't share our belief in God or the Bible. For that reason, we find ourselves living among people with a much different system of beliefs and values than our own. You've picked up on that, haven't you? This world doesn't believe like we believe. They don't value what we value. You know, Jesus said of us that though you live in the world, you're not of this world. The Bible describes us as citizens of heaven who are no more than foreigners strangers and pilgrims in this world. You know what that means, don't you? You know what it means? Sooner or later, there's going to be a culture clash. You're going to find yourself as one of God's kids trying to live a godly life in an ungodly culture. At some point, what God wants and what the world expects are going to be two different things. At some point, God's going to require something of you, and then those around you are fully expecting something other than that from you. I'm talking about the exact opposite of what God wants. It's in those moments that if we're going to, if we're going to have to say yes to God, we're going to have to first of all say no to the world. Obedience requires defiance. Therefore, when we hear the word defiant, the first group of people we ought to think about are Christians because Christians should be defiant and not compliant. So in light of this, what do we do? I think we ought to dare to be different. Say, so what do you mean by that? We're not going to bow to the gods of this world. Now, don't you listen carefully to me. We're not going to bow to the gods of this world. And you know what those gods are? I think you do. Pleasure, possessions, wealth, power, achievements, none of these false gods are ever to become our greatest priority. We don't bow to their gods. We bow to one God, the God of the Bible. That's it. We will not bind to the beliefs of this world. You know what this world believes? You know what they teach? Self is first. You're first. What you want is far more important than what God would ever want. This world believes that there are no absolutes, that there's really no such thing as right or wrong, that all that, you know, right or wrong depends on what situation you're in. You know what we're going to do? Rather than buying the beliefs of this world, we're going to base our beliefs on the teachings of this book. Period. This, this is going to establish the way we think and subsequently the way we behave ourselves. If we bow to the gods of this world or bind to its beliefs, we're going to eventually bend to their ways. Guys, we're not going to do that. We're not going to blend in. We're going to be like Mordecai. We're going to stand out. Uh, we're not going with the flow. You know what? 
we're going to go against the current. We're going to dare to be different. We're going to become defiant, not compliant. Let's pray together. Just, just in these last few moments, I want you to search your heart. I want to ask yourself a question. Are you ready for this? Are you ready for this? Well, it's probably going to require a change in our thinking and a real radical change in our behavior. It's going to take some courage. Are you ready for it? Now, the next few weeks... We're going to see what will unfold in our lives when we become defiant. We're going to see how the world's going to react. And we're going to see how God's going to react. And I think in the end, we will be motivated to dare to be different. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to meet together with my church family, these people whom I love dearly, and to be able to share these thoughts with them. God, I'm so excited about where we're headed, the things we're going to learn together from this marvelous story and this marvelous book. But the bottom line is this, God. Uh, We need you to change us. We need you to give us a backbone. We need you to give us courage. We need you to help us become people who never compromise. Who do the right thing. Even when it's not the popular thing. Help us do that. In Christ's name we pray together. Amen. Thank you for coming.